You know what that sound means. It's time for the Michigan DNR's Wild Talk Podcast. Welcome to the Wild Talk Podcast, where representatives from the DNR's Wildlife Division chew the fat and shoot the scat about all things habitat, feathers, and fur. With insights, interviews, and your questions answered on the air, you'll get a better picture of what's happening in the world of wildlife here in the great state of Michigan. Welcome to Wild Talk. I'm your host, Hannah Schauer, and with me today is Rachel Leitner. Hi, Hannah. Hello, Rachel. How are you? I am doing well. How about you? Excellent. Me too. It's the start of a brand new year, so we're ready to get going. Yes. Here's hoping 2021 is much better than the previous year. Today, we'll be talking with Nick Bougie, chairman of the Michigan Wildlife Council. And sometime during the episode, we'll be revealing the winners of our Wild Talk podcast camp mugs. And you can find out how you can win one, too. We will also be giving you a few highlights of work going on for wildlife around the state. And as always, answering your questions from the mailbag. But first, we're going to shine our wildlife spotlight on the snowy owl. Snowy owls are the largest owl by weight in North America, and we wanted to talk about this unique owl species because it can sometimes be seen in Michigan during the winters. However, it is not a native species to the state, meaning it does not breed or reproduce here. The snowy owl is actually a species of the Arctic tundra, but some winters they head farther south and can be seen in Michigan. They are often spotted by people because they are diurnal, which means they are daytime hunters, which is different from our native species of owl that are primarily nocturnal, which means they hunt during the nighttime. Because the Arctic has periods of the year with 24-hour daylight, these owls have adapted to hunting during the day and hunting in mostly treeless tundra landscapes. Yes, and I mentioned the snowy owl is the largest by weight in North America, but for size reference, it is similar to a great horned owl in body length and wingspan. For weight, the snowy owl weighs between 56 and 104 ounces. A great horned owl weighs 32 to 88 ounces, so a little bit less. Uh, And yes, though they are very large birds, they don't weigh much. Remember, bird bones are hollow and their feathers are light and fluffy. The snowy owl has white feathers that make its large yellow eyes really stand out. And immature birds and females typically have black and brown markings on the body and the wings. Females use this salt and pepper type pattern to help them blend in with the snow and the rocks when they're sitting on the ground nests. As the male owls age, though, they will lose their darker markings and become mostly completely white. Yes, it's a very striking owl when you can see those males that are totally white. They're so gorgeous. Now, the snowy owl's primary food source in the Arctic are lemmings, which is a small rodent. And we do have a species of lemming that can be found in Michigan, the southern bog lemming. Uh, Now, lemmings are very similar in appearance to voles, so short nose and tails. You know, if lemmings are scarce in the Arctic, snowy owls will also prey on other small rodents and even some birds uh, like ducks and other waterfowl. Snowy owl breeding often follows patterns of lemming abundance. When lemmings are less abundant, owls tend to raise less young. Because of the cyclical nature of this predator-prey relationship, snowy owls tend to need to travel south when prey is more scarce. We'd call these years of high owl numbers eruptions, as they don't necessarily occur annually. And uh, this winter, you'll want to look for snowy owls in open fields and near lake shores where they hunt for voles and other small mammals. 
You might want to also check out eBird for sighting reports to see if any snowy owls have been spotted near you. And we'll be sure to include a link to eBird and some other snowy owl resources in the show notes. Have you seen a snowy owl before, Hannah? I have. I remember when I was little, I saw one. Uh, we had a red picnic table in our backyard. And so it had. we got a nice dusting of snow, uh, but the picnic table didn't have much. So it was, you could still see the bright red. And we had a snowy owl that landed on the picnic table. And it was so cool to see it against that red backdrop, basically. Um, it really stood out. What a cool sighting. I yes. once saw one. Um, I was driving up at an expressway in Michigan in one of the worst blizzards I've ever had to drive in. And there seemed to be like a patch of trees along the expressway. So the, the snow kind of stopped blowing for just a minute. And there on the side of the expressway was a snowy owl just perched. And it felt like this magical moment in the midst of a blizzard to see a snowy owl just just perched right there. It was really neat. They are cool. They're a fun bird to see, you know, and like we mentioned, they're diurnal hunters. So they're out and about in the middle of the daytime, um, which is cool because it makes them a little more visible. All right. Well, stick around, everybody. Next up, we'll be talking about what's happening around the state. A base license for $11 is a fair fare to go hunt hare, or even a squirrel or two if you care. You hunted deer last month, the license is already there, so no more money from your pocket or your billfold square. To get your share of squirrel or hare to eat yourself or share with flair and fanfare with a nice set of flatware at a table you prepare, just bundle up warm with something to wear and don't miss when you shoot or you're liable to swear and possibly despair if you see no more signs of hide nor hair. So, happy hunting to all, and y'all take care. Across the state, field staff are beginning their post-deer season winter projects. During the first week of January, the Mid-Winter Waterfowl Survey will be conducted. Now, our staff will work with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to count the local, the migratory, and the wintering waterfowl populations. Now, this will help to determine population status and habitat use trends in Michigan. Uh, staff will travel around to different managed waterfowl areas or areas where there's a lot of waterfowl that usually hang out, and they will attempt to count every type of duck, geese, and swan species they observe. It's a lot of birds to watch for. It is. I, I do want to note that some of these spots have, like, thousands and thousands of birds. So the level of identification skill it, it takes is remarkable for the biologist to have a small spotting scope of binoculars and be able to pick out all these different duck species in a flock of what looks like a feathered pad across water is amazing. So Right. And staff do these uh, from planes, right? So they're not only looking through binoculars and spotting scopes, but they're in a plane while they're trying to do it. They do typically do them um, through aerial surveys. However, this year with the with what's going on, they all will be conducted from the ground. So they'll be oh. looking across like a horizon to identify these birds this year, which could be equally as tricky. <laughs> mm. Well, yes, it'll be interesting, I'm sure. 
Throughout the remainder of the month, most staff will be revising their regional wildlife priorities and developing new projects for this year, wrapping up the waterfall hunting season and also deer check stations. Um, Staff will also be doing fur harvester registration. And now while offices are still closed, you can call ahead to set up your appointment. If for some reason you have trouble reaching the office by phone, please feel free to email us at dnr-wildlife at michigan.gov. This month, registration for bobcats harvested during the hunting seasons for units E and F on or before January 21st. And be sure to check out the Fur Harvester Digest for all the other upcoming registration deadlines available at michigan.gov trapping. Now, in the southeast region, our managed waterfowl areas are kind of winding down following the regular waterfowl season. Um, and as the managed waterfowl area hunts are wrapping up, they are beginning to compile the hunter and harvest figures and staff are writing up those annual reports. They've also been pretty busy with timber sales um, and these timber sales benefit wildlife habitat in the region uh, and so those are really booming right now. Yeah, the same is happening over in the southwest region as well. They've got a number of timber sales that are happening across the state. So if you've got a state game area that is your favorite state game area to hike and there's a timber sale happening there, um, just a heads up, there might be logging equipment moving, but it is happening for to help wildlife habitat. And you will see those kinds of immediate impacts probably next growing season. In specific areas in the region, staff will be mowing snow for butterflies. What? <laughs> I know. I it's, it's, it's an interesting activity. I've never heard of this before, but it helps the Carner blue butterfly, which is a federally endangered species. And it only, the, this species of butterfly only occurs in some small pockets in southwest Michigan. These butterfly species need the flower lupin to survive. And lupin is it's a tricky flower. It can't grow if there is any brush or larger plant species anywhere near it to shade them out. They need a lot of sunlight and they take up a lot of resources. So any other competing species needs to be removed. So in order to help the lupin grow and in order to help the butterflies, we manage these small pockets for this habitat. And that's tricky. So where the large open areas are where lupin and connor blue butterflies live, it can't be mowed in the summertime because that will directly impact the lupin, it will take it out, which will also hurt butterflies. So the only time we can mow these areas to remove the brush or other species is in the winter time when there's at least four inches of snow on the ground. That's a very specific amount of snow <laughs> that's needed. It is a very specific amount of snow. This is a very specific type of, of management. There seems to be so many layers in order to help these counter blue butterflies, which is really interesting. But those four inches of snow are specific because they provide a safety layer for the butterfly eggs that are overwintering on the ground. So our field staff are really excited. We're waiting and hoping that we get at least four inches of snow soon so that they can take out their large mowing machines and clear out all of the other species that are larger than the lupin so that they can grow when the growing season begins and so that the carner blue butterflies have enough food for when they emerge this spring. Ha, huh, so cool. Who knew? Mowing in the snow for butterflies. <laughs> Yes, very neat. Our field staff always look forward to it. it, it we don't always get uh, the amount of snow that we need in the wintertime. So sometimes the mowing can't occur and then you can't do it in the spring. So we're really hoping to get the snow we need this year so that we can mow the snow. 
And then farther in the north, wildlife staff are working with foresters on state forest habitat planning projects. Um, now, this is going to include timber management, timber sales, wetland work, and wildlife openings to make sure that the really critical habitat that we need for wildlife is always available and in an, in an abundance for our wildlife species. Additionally, we should have the deer plan grant applications available for interested landowners in this area who want to manage their lands for deer a little bit better. Um, and lastly, we will be administering lots of deer disease control permits to landowners who want to help with the efforts of controlling bovine tuberculosis in the deer herd. We'll work with Michigan Department of Ag and Rural Development and the USDA and lots of other partners throughout this time to help control bovine tuberculosis efforts in this area. And that's all we have for Around the State. Stick around for our interview with Nick Bougie from the Michigan Wildlife Council. Putting on your camo and heading out to a blind? The Michigan Department of Natural Resources wants to remind deer hunters that their assistance is critical to bovine tuberculosis surveillance and managing the disease in Michigan's deer and cattle. Successful hunters in Sheboygan, Crawford, Iosco, Ogemaw, Otsego, Presque Isle, and Roscommon counties are encouraged to visit a 24-hour self-service drop box or check station to submit their deer head for testing. Visit michigan.gov slash deer check for locations and hours. The DNR hopes you have a safe hunting season. Welcome back to Wild Talk. Today we are joined by Nick Bougie, chairman of the Michigan Wildlife Council. Thanks for joining us today, Nick. Thanks for having me on your show. Well, let's get started with uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. So I, uh, well, besides being chair of the, the Michigan Wildlife Council, I'm an avid outdoorsman. Um, I live in the Thumb of Michigan. I enjoy hunting and fishing. I uh, work for an organization called the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, um, where I work on outdoor policy issues in seven states in the upper Midwest. And before that, I worked in work for the state, uh, in the state Senate and, and in the executive branch. Um, and so what led you to the, the Michigan Wildlife Council? Just sort of my, my passion for the, for the outdoors and for conservation. And there was, a an opening on the council and it kind of uh, aligned with my interests. So the, the gentleman that was leaving the council, he, he was from the thumb and they, they kind of had, didn't have anybody else in my age demographic or representing that region of the state. So I threw my, my name in the hat and uh, luckily, for me anyways, was uh, selected to serve on the council. Could you go into a little bit of depth of what the Michigan Wildlife Council actually is? Yeah, so the council was created by the legislature and it's funded by $1 from every hunting and fishing license purchase. So when you purchase a hunting or fishing license, uh, $1 of that goes to the council. And our mission is to educate the general public on the benefits of hunting and fishing, how it's funded, and how it's used as a wildlife management tool. Thanks, Nick. And specifically, what are your duties as the chairman? Review and sign a lot of paperwork. Other than that, we're, uh, we're basically all the same. So. Gotcha. That is an important role, though. It sounds like it's very important duties to sign a lot of papers. <laughs> yeah, um, it's uh, it's purely an uh, an administrative role. We do I do work with our our marketing team 
and our liaison with the department to try to get a, a behind the scenes look or, or, a, or a preview on what some of our marketing campaign is going to look like before it's, it's presented to the rest of the board. We do have a, a subcommittee that that works on that. So sometimes I get a, a sneak peek before it's presented to the rest of the council. But um, other than that, there's 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 really no uh, no difference between me or, and any other member of the council. Gotcha. Uh, well, the Michigan Wildlife Council sounds awesome. It's doing a lot of great education and outreach work for wildlife conservation. Specifically, how did the council get started? So uh, the council, basically, it was created um, by the legislature. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the uh, what the bill number was um, off the top of my head, but um, it was the legislature felt that educating the public on the benefits of, of hunting and fishing as a management tool and educating them that, that um, it's licensed dollars that fund the majority of conservation, whether it's for monarch butterflies or white-tailed deer. Um, hunters and anglers are uh, the ones generating that money to go towards those conservation efforts. So we, the legislature thought that that was something that the general public should be educated on. Um, and that's, that's sort of our mission today. Uh, so I'm curious, in addition to the $1 that uh, you get for from the hunting and fishing licenses for funding, do you have um, any other funding sources that the Michigan Wildlife Council uses for any of your projects? Uh, nope. We're, we're, that's, that's how we're funded is fully by hunting and fishing dollars. I know we've kind of discussed um, nothing says we, we can't go out and raise money um, on our own, but that's not an option that we've ever um chosen to to do so uh you know maybe in the future there there could be a reason for it but at the time or as of now we're we're fully funded by hunting and fishing uh licensed dollars so nick could you tell us a little bit about uh some of the efforts that the michigan wildlife council has done to increase awareness of the importance of hunting and fishing yeah so we the council and, and our marketing team we've kind of launched a few different campaigns and mostly we're reaching out to folks in, in urban areas, whether that's Metro Detroit or Grand Rapids. Um, we are starting a, uh, a smaller sportsman's campaign where we're targeting uh, hunters and anglers themselves. And so we're, we're trying to uh, educate them and kind of bring them on board as, as ambassadors for us and, and our mission. Um, We've started out, we had kind of the, the Here for Generations campaign um, where we kind of focused on some conservation success stories, whether that be the elk in Michigan or wild turkeys, the Kirtland warbler, sturgeon, um, things like that, just to say, you know, just to kind of educate the public that, you know, hey, these were all once animals that, um, you know, were either gone from the state or in severe need of, of our help. And, and they're all animals that have made an amazing comeback. Um, you know, you, you can pretty much see, see wild turkeys anywhere in the state now. Um, and, you know, we certainly have a healthy elk population. The Kirtland warbler was uh, removed from the endangered species list. And um, although there was a lot of, you know, effort from, you know, the DNR and other, other organizations and, and volunteers, a lot of that was funded by hunting and fishing dollars. So that's kind of how we started. Um, we've kind of moved to a new campaign that is um, 
focuses on license fees, pays for conservation, not state tax dollars. Um, there's a big misconception out there when you ask the general public, hey, how are we you know, funding these conservation efforts? Um, a lot of them will respond with, oh, it's, you know, it's my tax dollars. My tax dollars are paying for, um, you know, whether it's, you know, certain flowers that, that butterflies need or, um, you know, water clean, cleaning up water, creating wetlands for ducks and turtles and salamanders. Um, a lot of people feel or think that, that that work is done by by their tax dollars when, in fact, it's done by hunting and fishing dollars. And most recently, we've we've worked with the DNR to kind of focus uh, or shed some light on the, the pandemic and, and COVID-19 and, and everything that's happened with that. There's been a huge increase um, in hunting and fishing license sales. And so we've really wanted to kind of shed a light, a light on that and encourage people to get outside for both their, their mental and physical health. Um, it's a great way to social distance and, and fund conservation. And um, it seems that it's something that, you know, Michiganders are, have chosen to do when, when restaurants and uh, things like that shut down and they don't have football practice or music lessons to take their kids to they're, they're heading to the outdoors and kind of build the memories with their family and spending time outside. So Absolutely. And I think that uh, message about how conservation work gets funded in the state is so important. So it's really great that the Wildlife Council is uh, taking on that messaging and trying to get the word out. And of course, your uh, Here for Generations campaign is so neat. I love seeing billboards once in a while or ads in other places. Um, I just think that's been a really cool campaign that you guys have put together. Yeah. And I'll just to kind of add to that, I know, you know, the pandemic's kind of changed the way that people are are consuming information and consuming media. And so that's kind of thrown us for a little a little loop uh, as well. And so, you know, hopefully you do see the billboards or hear, hear the ads on, on TV or the radio. But we have kind of turned um, our attention to, uh, you know, more of an online presence. Um, it seems like folks are are consuming more of their their media online um, during COVID because obviously they're they're not driving as much and uh, so that's that's been a, an interesting turn of events and and a little challenge for us but we've we've come up with some really unique videos and and images and things like that that we can use online so that that's kind of been been a fun project that we've been working on yeah you guys have have really put in a lot of effort to make these really great messages and have been doing so much valuable work you know you you mentioned reaching out to urban places you're here for generations campaign is amazing you've been talking about these great wildlife restorations that have occurred here in Michigan. Why is that so important for conservation? Well, because, you know, traditionally, the United States has one of the most successful systems of conservation anywhere in the world. And, and part of that is a, it's the user pay public benefit system where, you know, the general public can use that resource. Hunters and anglers can go out and, and harvest animals and, and catch fish and, and use that resource, but they are the ones that have to pay for it. Those that take the resource are paying for it, but the public gets the kind of benefit from all that with the creation of, of, of green spaces and trails and boat launches, things like that. So, but unfortunately, um, you know, as, as times change, the number of hunters and anglers is, is decreasing. 
And so the funding for some of those projects is, is also decreasing. And so what we wanted to do was just make people aware of how these projects are funded. Um, it's a system that has been successful for a number of years and, you know, is, is kind of been implemented in other parts of the world and, and is successful there. And so we just wanted to educate the, the, the populace on, hey, this is how we fund conservation and how hunters and anglers are, are really true conservationists. Um, they care about the environment. They care about these species. Um, they care about the, the future of these species. And we just want to make sure that people are aware of that. And where can people go to learn more about the great work the Michigan Wildlife Council is doing? Yep, they can go to uh, uh, MI Outdoors. That's our website. They can read stories of things we've been doing or things that other organizations are doing in the state. But really, I, I, the biggest thing I think that would help us out is, you know, if you were a hunter or angler and, and have, have stopped or you're interested in hunting and angling, there's a lot of programs out there, um, a lot of resources out there, whether it's through the DNR or through organizations like the National Wild Turkey Federation or Ducks Unlimited that will help you get started um, into the sport. And, you know, it, it's a great activity. Uh, I would say most hunters and anglers, you know, even if they aren't successful in, in their in their pursuit, they have a good day outside. I've never heard somebody say, you know, this was a waste of time. I didn't get a deer. I'm, I'm so upset. I didn't go into work today and decided to sit outside. So it's you get to see and experience so much na that nature has to offer. You get to experience so the unique, I guess, diversity of species that Michigan has um, when you're when you're outside and you get to help support conservation while you're doing it. So even if even if harvesting um, an animal isn't something that uh, you know, you want to do, I would encourage people to go buy a hunting or fishing license. Um, I don't want to take away from other organizations and the great work that they do. But, um, you know, when you go and buy a hunting and fishing license, that money goes directly towards the state's conservation efforts. And it's matched by an excise tax. Um, so it's not only are you getting the price of the license, but the DNR gets you know, two to three times that amount back um, from excise taxes. And so it, it's a great way to contribute to conservation efforts in the state. And like I said, whether you care about monarch butterflies or salamanders or falcons, or you just want to have more deer and turkeys around, um, buying a, a hunting and fishing license is something that will help all of, all of those animals across the board. Thank you so much for joining us today, Nick. We look forward to seeing more great work from the Michigan Wildlife Council, and uh, we really appreciate your time. Well, I appreciate you having me on, and let me share the message of the Michigan Wildlife Council and everything we do. Now, don't run off. Next up, we'll be sorting through the mailbag and answering some of your questions. Did you know that you can take your hunting and fishing regulations with you wherever you go? Have access to the information you need, when you need it, right on your smartphone. Just visit michigan.gov slash DNR Digest to download the applicable hunting digest before you head out to the woods or the Michigan Fishing Guide before you hit the water. Download the most up-to-date regulations available today at michigan.gov slash DNR Digests. Welcome back to Wild Talk. Now it is time for us to dig into the mailbag and answer your questions. 
Uh, so first, I got a question from Joe who asks if there's an extended archery season this year. And yes, for the 2020 hunting season, there is an extended archery deer season for Macomb, Oakland, and Wayne counties. And that will happen uh, now through January 31st. This extended season is to help manage ongoing human deer conflicts. And you can use a deer license, a deer combo license, or an antlerless deer license. All archery season regulations apply. You can find additional information about this extended archery deer season, uh, as well as deer hunting regulations in the Hunting Digest, which is available at michigan.gov slash deer. All right, Rachel, what do you have for us today? I have a question from Jane. Now, Jane lives in northern Michigan and says that she loves to watch the winter songbirds. However, being in northern Michigan, she knows that she has bears in the area and she doesn't want to attract the bears to her yard when she puts a bird feeder out. So she was curious, when can I hang my bird feeders again to watch the winter songbirds and avoid attracting bears? This is a great question, Jane. Um, you can hang your bird feeders right about now. Most Michigan black bears should be in hibernation for the rest of the winter until March. So if you are in an area where you think there might be black bears, um, you should be okay to put your bird feeders up now to check out these winter songbirds. But remember to mark your calendars for March because you will want to make sure to take your bird feeders down then uh, because bears will be coming out of hibernation and they will be very hungry and they will be looking for a nice replenishing food source and they could stumble across your bird feeder. Now, if you're hanging bird feeders, um, especially if you're in the lower peninsula or if you're in the uh, chronic wasting disease surveillance area in the UP, which there's a handful of counties. I think it's Dickinson, Delta, and Menominee counties, so portion of those areas if you live there. You want to consider the kinds of bird feeders you're putting up. Um, there's a, a handful of different feeders you could choose from, and it would be best to use a a type of container rather than spreading the seed directly on the ground um, because baiting and feeding of deer is illegal in the Lower Peninsula and in that CWD area in the UP. Um, also, if you've got bird feeders or bird feed on the ground, you're going to attract more than just birds. So that's just something to consider. If you are looking for suggestions on what kind of bird feeders to use, you can find tips um, and more information on michigan.gov forward slash CWD under the partner toolkit. There are some good feeder resources for you. We'll also link those in the show notes um, and provide you more information there, as well as a direct link to the PDF for more birding information. Hannah, do you have one other question for us? I do. All right. So Alexa wrote in wondering if there was anything that should be done with a bat outside their home. They said the bat was found in a crevice on the outer windowsill. Alexa wondered if anything should be done or if it would be best just to leave the bat alone as it appeared to be hibernating there. Now, um, based on the photo I got, it looks like it's probably a big brown bat uh, that's hanging out on Alexa's windowsill. Now, big brown bats are a species that is known to hibernate in man-made buildings, oftentimes between the siding and the insulated wall. That way they can regulate their body temperature by getting the warmth from the house side and the cooler air from the siding side. It is possible that this particular spot is sheltered enough and is staying warm enough 
um, next to the window that the bat decided it wanted to hibernate there. If the bat is outside the home, the best thing to do is leave the bat alone and don't handle it. Just leave it be. However, if for some reason you have found the bat in the living quarters of your home and or it came into physical contact with a person or pet, you should contact your county health department right away to determine if the bat needs to be submitted for disease testing. It is possible for bats, like all mammals, to carry rabies, and you should never touch or handle a bat without adequate protection. Additional information about rabies and what to do with a bat in your living quarters or in your home can be found at michigan.gov slash rabies. You can also find additional information on how to handle conflicts with wildlife at michigan.gov slash wildlife. As we zip this segment to a close, remember, if you have questions about wildlife or hunting, you can call 517-284-WILD or email us at dnr-wildlife at michigan.gov. Your question could be featured on the next mailbag. All right, now is your opportunity to win a Wild Talk podcast mug. As a thank you to our listeners, we'll be giving away a mug or two every episode. And our December mug winners are Bernie Parole and Caitlin Zachow. Bernie and Caitlin, check your email as we'll be getting in touch with you soon. They answered the question, what canine species has climbing abilities and often forages and shelters in tree canopies? The answer is the common gray fox. Now, it's important to note that the common gray fox is not a color phase of the red fox. They are two entirely different species, and they even have different skull shapes. So it's very important to know the, the difference. There is a gray fox and a red fox in Michigan. Right. And the gray fox can climb trees. The red fox cannot. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is an awesome wildlife fact. Love that one. All right. The moment you've been waiting for to be entered into the drawing for this month, test your wildlife knowledge and answer our wildlife quiz question. This month's question is, what is the only marsupial in North America? It's the only marsupial in Michigan as well. Well, think on it and email your name and answer to us at dnr-wildlife at michigan.gov to be entered for a chance to win a mug. Be sure to include the subject line as mug me and submit your answers by January 15th. Good luck, everybody. Now back to the podcast. regale you with stories of sometimes pesky tree-dwelling rodents. Entertaining as well as tasty, squirrels are likely to be found in just about every backyard or neighborhood that has a tree or two. Fox squirrels and red squirrels are especially common in neighborhoods and residential areas. You might also see a gray squirrel around, and sometimes you might even see a black gray squirrel, just to make it extra confusing. Yes, and like other rodents, their front teeth are continuously growing, and so they love to chew on everything. Because they like to chew, this can cause homeowners occasional issues, such as getting into attic spaces or other areas of a home or a building. There are a few things you can try to do to make your area less appealing to tree-dwelling species if they are causing you trouble. 
Yes. First, you'll want to take down any bird feeders you have up. Squirrels will be regular visitors to eat the seed directly from the feeder, or if you've made the feeder inaccessible to the squirrels, they still may frequent the area for seeds that the birds have dropped on the ground. If you have trees near your home or building, you might want to consider trimming the tree branches that are touching or close to your home or the building. Squirrels are agile and good at jumping from branch to branch or from branch to building. Make sure those branches aren't touching the building directly and keep them trimmed at least six to eight feet away from the building. Or if the tree is too close to effectively trim the branches, you may consider removing the tree altogether or use some kind of methods to try and keep the squirrels from climbing that particular tree. Yes, and one way you can prevent squirrels from climbing a tree that you don't want damaged or don't want them accessing your home or building from is uh, to try placing a two-foot-wide sheet metal band around the tree. Now, this could also work on power poles you don't want them climbing um, because the sheet metal is too slippery for the squirrel to climb on, uh, but you will also want to make sure that it is high off the ground so they can't just jump past it. Um, so we recommend that it should be at least six feet off the ground where you put this sheet metal band. You'll want to you know, check on it, make sure as the tree grows that you either adjust the sheet metal band, adding material, um, you could sometimes, you know, add some flexibility to it. Just something to consider if you're putting it around a tree that's still growing. Uh, obviously, that won't be an issue if you're putting it around a power pole because that's not going to change size. Um, but making it slippery so those squirrels can't climb up the tree or pole is a good place to start. Mm -hmm. Now, if the squirrels have gotten into your building, close any external openings to prevent the squirrels from getting inside. However, if you do have squirrels inside, you should watch the openings and wait until they have left before closing the openings or try creating a one-way door over the openings to allow them to leave the space but preventing re-entry. They may create more damage trying to chew their way out, so you don't want to trap them inside. Close the openings with a half-an-inch wire mesh or a metal flashing and use the materials that squirrels can't chew through. Mm -hmm. Now, if you've tried some of these deterrent methods and are still having trouble with squirrels getting into your home or building, you may want to contact a permitted nuisance wildlife control company for assistance in removal options. And if you are in an area where hunting is allowed, squirrel hunting season for gray and fox squirrels is September 15th through March 31st. Red squirrels can be taken year round and there is no bag limit. Visit michigan.gov forward slash small game for additional small game hunting regulations and bag limits. Absolutely. And if you need additional tips and information on how to deter squirrels from your area, be sure to check out our uh, wildlife conflicts information available at michigan.gov slash wildlife. That's all for this month's episode. Join us next month for more wildlife fun. This has been the Wild Talk Podcast, your monthly podcast airing the first of each month and offering insights into the world of wildlife across the state of Michigan. You can reach the Wildlife Division at 517-284-9453 or dnr-wildlife at michigan.gov.